Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. That'll be our text today. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1048 in that Bible. We are starting a new series today called Christ Stories, Parables for Today. This will take us up until Easter, and we're going to take some time to dig into some of those great and rich and deep teachings of Jesus and hear what he has to say for us for our lives today. And we've designed this with a study guide that goes along with it. You can get these at the Hub uh, if you want to jump in with us on that. And so it's designed to go with the sermon series. If you only listen to the Sunday morning Sunday morning series, I'm certainly hopeful uh, that you'll get a lot out of it. If you want to get the most out of this series, be sure to grab a study guide as well. Uh, Sunday morning is going to be the scripture and the theology uh, and the, just the, the message of what we're talking about. The study guide helps us to then say, now what do we do with this in our lives? Uh, we know what it means now, so how do we actually apply that and help us to follow after Jesus in our lives? So we encourage you to do that and also encourage you to jump into a life group if you're not in a life group yet. These are our midweek groups. They're small groups. They typically meet in people's homes and it's an amazing place to get to know people. Several of our groups are going to go through this for their curriculum this time. And so if you're not in one yet, encourage you head to the hub after the service, see what's available on what nights and jump into a group so that you can continue to learn and grow as we go through this series together. So we are focusing on the parables of Jesus for the next eight weeks. And Jesus was a storyteller. He loved stories. It was one of the main ways he communicated truth. And it certainly wasn't that he didn't also just kind of say, well, this is the way it is and make some truth statements, but so much of his really good teaching happens in what we call these parables, these stories, these metaphors that he would use to teach us something about who God is or about who we are or about who Jesus is or about the kingdom of God or about salvation, and he would tell it in these, this story fashion. And when he was asked by his disciples, why do you do that? Why do you tell these metaphors? Why don't you just teach us, uh, just tell us what to do and we'll just do it? Why would you go through the trouble of this? And he would tell his disciples, I'm actually speaking in code a little bit. I'm actually doing it so that those who are truly hungry will press in for the meaning. And those who aren't, it will go over their heads. And so if you want to know the meaning of these stories, if you really want to find the truth, you got to dig a little bit to get to the truth of these things. And so we know what they mean now, 2,000 years later, because they've been explained to us and we have this understanding. But when Jesus told these stories, he said, I want you to get the truth. But sometimes with God's word, we do have to do a little bit of digging. We do have to press in a little bit. Someone came up to me after the first service, and they saw things in the parable today that I hadn't talked about, that I hadn't shared that I'd never seen before. But God spoke to them something just as they dug in to what it meant, and the, they just sort of wrestled with the text a little bit more. So they're fascinating, incredible, memorable stories. Jesus told dozens upon dozens of them. Uh, we've picked a top eight that we're going to look at for the next number of weeks, which is not to discount any of the others, but we're just going to focus on a few things as we go through. The Bible says in 1 John 2, verse 6, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And this is kind of the bedrock verse for the parable series that we're going to go through. Whoever claims to live in him, whoever calls themselves a Christian, 
actually has to live as Jesus did. None of us do it perfectly. But if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, then, newsflash, we actually need to follow Christ a little bit in our lives. And, and understanding that we stumble at this and that we're learning and growing in this, nonetheless, if we are going to call ourselves Christ followers, that means that we have made the attempt to order our lives after the teaching and after the example of Jesus. Uh, Christians, the term means of Christ, people who are like Christ. And so we thought as we kind of continued to kick off 2018, it would be good to spend some time just really digging into what does Jesus teach us. Uh, if we are going to follow him, if we're going to live like him, then let's look at how he told us to live. And let's look at how he told us to follow him. So we're going to spend some time doing that through this series. A number of years ago, I saw a movie. It was, a big, it was the big Hollywood blockbuster movie of the time. And it was really violent. It was a lot more violent than I realized it was going to be when I went. And the subject matter was really heavier than I thought it was going to be. So to be clear, I'm not recommending it to you for good Christian viewing for your family night, okay? Uh, rated R and with good reason. Uh, and yet, as I saw this movie, there was something about it that, that stirred me. There was something about it that kind of gripped me. There was something about it that just that whispered to me something about God and about the kingdom, uh, even in this you know, rated R, really violent movie. And as I was kind of reflecting on this and rolling through this and, and wrestling with this idea, um, there was a famous Christian teacher, and he had tweeted about this movie. And he put into words exactly what I, was, what I was kind of sensing as I watched it. And he said, when is a movie that's not at all a family movie actually kind of a family movie? And he said, when that movie is taken, starring Liam Neeson, and some of you have seen it. And it's a movie about a man whose daughter makes some bad choices, uh, goes on a trip, makes some bad choices while she's there, uh, ends up getting kidnapped into a sex trafficking ring. And he is, it's, it's not totally clear what his job was, but he is kind of a semi-retired guy who was in special ops and had skills with uh, you know, martial arts and guns and different things and uh, security and, and different skills. And it's the story of him going to get his daughter back. And again, really violent. Uh, don't go, hey, Chris said watch Taken and then be mad at me afterwards, okay? Watch it if you want, but you've been warned. And so this teacher says, you know, it's not a family movie at all, but there is, a, there is this, this theme of redemption. There is this theme of what would a father do as he travels the world, as he kicks open doors, as he turns a criminal organization upside down, as he gets shot at and fights his way to bring his daughter home. There is this theme that, that is heavenly, even in the midst of this very, you know, Hollywood movie, of, of what God has done for us. That God literally turned heaven and earth upside down to come and bring us home to him. And so there is this, the, sometimes even in places you least expect it, you can get a snapshot. Uh, even in a very maybe ungodly, you know, movie, you can get a picture of something God is, is saying or speaking. And it's a picture of where we're going in our first parable. And we're starting, we're going to dive into the parable of the prodigal son. And so let's look at our text this morning. We're in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So we called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends." But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So that's maybe one of the more famous parables of Jesus. Even sometimes people who don't know anything about church or the Bible will have some familiar understanding of this story. And it's the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son, depending on the version of the Bible that you have. And if you read Luke 15, where it's located, there's actually three parables in a row. This is the final one. And they all have to do with things being lost and found. Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, and he says, imagine a shepherd whose sheep wanders off. The shepherd will cross the country, will go searching for that sheep, will do what he has to to bring that sheep home. And then tells the story of the lost coin. Says, imagine a woman who loses a significant amount of money. Like She's not going to rest. She will turn her house upside down until she finds that money, and then she'll rejoice that she's found it. And then he wraps up the discourse, and then imagine a father whose son wanders away. And each one has a bit of a different emphasis, but each one is the same theme. That when things are lost, we go find the things that were lost. And when we find the things that were once lost, we celebrate because the thing that was lost is now found. And there's an escalation as Jesus teaches where he says, now imagine a farmer loses one of its livestock. That's, that's not great. Imagine a person loses a significant amount of money. That's even more worrisome. Now imagine a parent who loses a child. Someone wanders away from home, wanders away from God. Imagine, and in each of these pictures, it's God is like the shepherd who would cross the country to bring that sheep home. God is like the woman who would rip the house apart to find that money. God is like the father who welcomes the son back. 
And we are getting this picture of who our God is. And as we look at the story today, we're going to look at uh, the character of the prodigal son, the character of the older brother, and the character of the father. Because we have all been the prodigal son. Uh, We have probably all been the elder brother. But the father in this story, who's a picture of God, is who we are supposed to be like. Because scripture says, be imitators of God. And so we are wanting to become more and more like the father in this story. So we will touch on each one briefly as we go. First of all, the prodigal. The prodigal son. The word prodigal actually means someone who blows their money. Uh, It doesn't mean someone who wanders, but this story is so well known that it has just become synonymous with with someone who wanders away uh, from family, from God, from responsibility, or whatever. The prodigal son, the younger son, and obviously there's there's some selfishness going on in him. Uh, There's something about him that is only worried about him. He's not worried about his dad. He's not worried about his brother. And so as we start the story, verse 12, it says, The younger son goes to his father, says, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And we don't really get a definition of what that wild living is, but it's not like he's taking the money and starting a business to benefit the community. He's going to blow his money on himself. The elder brother makes a comment about prostitutes later in the story. So, Father, give me my share. I want my inheritance now. And, you know, in our time, that sometimes does happen. Sometimes a parent or a grandparent will share some inheritance with their kids while they're still alive. That can occasionally happen, but completely unheard of in the culture of the time. Because in the culture of the time, the land that you are given, the property you are given, is gifted to you by God from generations on. And so I have talked to Jewish people who talk about land that their family still owns in Israel. And I would say, well, how far, how far back does that go? And they would say, to Abraham. Like they, they consider that this has been passed down generation to generation by God. And you had a duty to your family. Because the commandment said, honor your mother and father. And so you lived on the land. Your dad was in charge of the family. You lived and worked the land for him. And when he died, it passed on to you. And then your kids would work the land. And then they would pass it on to their kids. And so on and so on and so on. But that land was the gift of God to your family. That property came from him. But you worked it as a family. It was not meant to be something that you split up and everyone did their own thing. And so the younger son goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. It's not... Uh, just saying I need some cash there's more to it than that because he's essentially coming and saying I'm not staying and working the family land I'm not going to stay and work in the business with you I'm not going to look after you when you're in your old age like the Bible tells me I'm supposed to I am not going to be faithful I am leaving the land I am leaving the family I am leaving you he's essentially saying I don't want to wait till you're dead to get my inheritance you're dead to me now I'm leaving for the far country I'm going my own way That's a heavy thing that the younger son is doing. It's a selfish thing that he's doing. And again, he's not using the money to fund charities or anything awesome. He's going, and we get this line, he squanders the money on wild living. He's spending the money on himself, whatever that looks like. And it is this picture of what all of us have done to God. It is the picture of all of us saying in one way or another, I don't need you. I don't want to be a part of your family. I don't want to follow your rules. I am going to go my own way. I am going to go and do my own thing. 
Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. There is something in us that doesn't want to submit to commandments. There's something in us that doesn't want to bow a knee to the Lord. There's something in us that wants to do what's best for us, wants to do what feels good, wants to do what's nice in the moment, wants to do what we want to do. I don't want to be told what to do. And so like the prodigal son, we too have wandered to the far country. We too have turned our back on our heavenly father. We too have said, I'm going my own way and I don't need you. I can do this on, our, on my own. And the amazing thing in this story, and it's the amazing thing of what God does for us, is the father lets him go. The father actually does what he asks. Like there's an easy solution to the story. Father, you're dead to me. Give me my money now. The father says, no. Story over, Right? Like, he doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to. It's his money, and he doesn't have to do it. The Father lets him go, and God lets us go, even as we wander, right? The shepherd has the ability, you know, just crack the sheep and get it back with the flock. The Father has given us the freedom and the choice to live the way we want to live. He has not forced us into anything because true love, true devotion, true worship cannot ever be forced. It always has to be chosen willingly. And so where we have wandered, the Father has said, if that's the way you want to live, you can live that way. That is your choice to go that route. And so the son goes and blows all his money. Circumstances change. There's money running out. There's a famine that hits the land. And, and all of a sudden, the wild living isn't happening anymore. And Scripture says sin is pleasurable for a season. But the season does not last, and he finds himself at the end of that season. He hires himself out to work the fields for a pig farmer. Verse 17, he says, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out. I will go back to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so there is a point he reaches where he says, What I'm doing right now is not working. And for any of us who have been in our sinful season and returned home, who have come to Jesus, who have asked for forgiveness, our story, although the details might be different, has this element in it. There's a point where we say, this is not working, right? Sin is not doing what it's claiming it can do in my life. The pleasure is temporary, and it, the fruit is not good. And I find myself at the end of my rope, which is where he finds himself here. He's gone from a wealthy, loving family to now working in the fields with nothing to eat. And he's starving to death, he says, exaggerating maybe. But he's saying, man, these pigs are eating better than I am. But in my father's house, my dad's a good guy. Right? He treats his servants well. And so maybe if I'm lucky, I can go back home, and maybe he'll treat me like a servant. I don't deserve it, but maybe he'll treat me like a servant because at least his servants eat really well and they eat better than I'm eating now. And so he gathers himself up from the far country. He begins the long journey home. And if you can imagine just the shame, right? That's a lot of time to think when you're on a long journey and the shame he's feeling. And he has a speech prepared, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Can I be one of your servants? And, and just repeating that the whole journey and preparing what he's going to say. And how's my dad going to react? And, and what's going to happen? And I have turned my back on him. I have offended him. I have insulted him. I have blown my inheritance. I have done terrible things. I have wasted my life here in the far country. And now I'm going home and I'm hoping for just a scrap of mercy knowing I can't pay him back anything. That money's gone. 
I can't do anything to make amends for how I've dishonored him or insulted him. I can't bring anything to the table. And that is all of us when it comes to standing before a perfect and holy God. That we can add nothing. We can earn nothing. We bring nothing to the table. We throw ourselves on the mercy of a loving God. He knows in the back of his head, my dad's a good guy. He treats his servants really well. If I could just have some scraps from his table, I will be fine. But he has underestimated who his father is. And we will get to that in a second. We are the prodigal son anytime we wander to the far country, anytime we have turned our back on God, anytime we have chosen the selfish way, anytime we've chosen pleasure over the right thing, anytime we have gone there. And even for those of us who have already gone through this journey, we have come back and we are followers of Jesus. Sometimes the far country still calls, right? And we're not going maybe living there, but maybe we're taking a day trip to the sinful place and coming home. Right? It's not like we're instantly set free from sin when we come to Jesus. And so the far country still calls. We're the prodigal every time we choose the way that we shouldn't go. So that's the younger son. There is an older son as well. We already know how the story ends, obviously. But the elder brother is there, and as his brother comes home, there is nothing about him that is happy. There is nothing about him that is celebrating. There is nothing about him rejoicing with his father. There is nothing like that going on. Verse 28 says, The older brother became angry, refused to go in to the party, Verse 30, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, he says to his father. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, there may be a grain of truth in there, right? There may be a fair point, potentially, um, and yet, it all comes out in this bitterness, this jealousy. When the younger son said, you're dead to me, and I'm leaving for the far country, as far as the family was concerned, he was dead to them. They were never going to see him again. And you would think seeing your long-lost brother coming home would bring something, but there's nothing good that comes up in the elder brother. He flips around entirely into, what about me? There's nothing rejoicing in the journey or rejoicing in the mercy of the Father. It's just, hey, what about me? There's something incredibly bitter and jealous that rises up. And he's saying, hey, I, I've been here. I've been faithful. I didn't blow your money in the far country doing terrible things. And I'm here. And where's my reward? And why does he get a party? And where's my party? And I've been the faithful one. And he was the sinful one. So why is he getting grace? And I'm not getting my reward. And I read something in the last couple of weeks as I was preparing. It says, you know, we relate to being the prodigal son because we, we know what our sin is. And, and hopefully we have encountered the grace and mercy of God. And so we relate to that. It says, you know, the prodigal son is who we are the most like when we first come to Jesus. And then it said, the elder brothers who are like when we've been around church for a few years. Because ah. we forget sometimes what that grace felt like when we encountered it. And if someone coming to Jesus is not meant with instant rejoicing by us, then we are the elder brother in that moment. We had a lady come to Jesus when we were pastoring in Sudbury, and there was an older lady in the church, and she had walked with Jesus her entire life. She knew her Bible front ways and back ways. She had a scripture for every occasion. And when this lady came to Jesus who was coming out of a rough lifestyle, she pulled me aside one morning and said, I don't like the way she's dressed. She shouldn't be dressing that way in church. I said, do you know what she's coming out of? It's amazing that she's here. 
And we need to celebrate with her. And then, by the way, if you don't like the way she's dressed, why don't you take her shopping? Put your money where your mouth is. Stop complaining. We need to rejoice when these things are happening. And so the elder brother rises up with this bitterness and this jealousy, this entitlement. What's in it for me? Where's my reward? Right? What's, what do I get out of this? And why is he getting all the special treatment? And I can relate to the prodigal son because the prodigal son, again, it's my story. And the details are different for everyone. But I, too, was in the far country. I, too, was sinning. I, too, turned my back on God and went my own way. I pursued pleasure instead of godliness. I, too, came home and was welcomed home with open arms by our Heavenly Father. I've experienced that love and grace. And so I can so relate to that, that story, that feeling. And yet, as I get a bit older, as I walk with Jesus a bit longer, I have to acknowledge I hear the voice of the older brother coming out of my mouth still, and maybe even I'm more aware of it as I get older, that anytime I feel entitled, anytime I say, what about me, right? And it's maybe not, you know, being mad that someone else comes to Jesus, but it might be any time that I just, I get jealous or I get bitter or I say, where's my roar? Why does he get that? Why don't I get that? Where's my acknowledgement? Where's my whatever? The voice of the elder brother comes out. And sometimes we don't know that that stuff is in there until we get pressed, until we're put into a situation, Right? I'm not an angry person, and then someone cuts you off in traffic, and this anger all of a sudden comes out. Right? We don't always know. Right? Maybe the elder brother doesn't know this, but then he finds himself here, and something really ugly comes out in what should have been a very celebratory day. And so we are like the prodigal when we wander. We are like the prodigal when we choose sin. We're like the prodigal when we turn our back on God, when we choose our own way. But we're like the elder brother when we're bitter, when we're entitled. When we say, what about me? When we focus on what we didn't get or, or why wasn't I acknowledged in this way? We are like the elder brother as well. So we're like the prodigal. We're like the elder. But what we want to be is like the father. Because the father in this parable is clearly a picture of God. He's clearly a picture of our heavenly father. And scripture says, be imitators of God. Be like the father. Jesus said, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. So as we acknowledge our sinfulness in the, the prodigal son, as we acknowledge the sinfulness of the elder brother, they're both sinning, they're just sinning in different ways. We don't want to just stay there. We want to say, how do I become more like the father in this story? And the son who has gone away, who has sinned, who has slandered him, who has turned his back, who has dishonored his father, cut off his father, wounded his father, and is coming home now. The father shows this incredible, incredible forgiveness and mercy and grace. The son is coming home and he's just hoping to be a servant, right? If I could just be a servant, at least I would eat well. And maybe there's something that's just kind of maybe the way we think in our common sense of, well, if I'm a servant for a while, I'll, I'll pay off the debt maybe that I owe him, and, and, and maybe that will be a way that I can start to make this right. And so he's been traveling from the far country coming home. Again, imagine the shame and the torture of going back to the place that, that, that has loved you and yet that you have slammed the door shut on. And now you're going back and you're begging for scraps. And you're acknowledging all the bad choices that you made. You're acknowledging all of the sin in your life for the father who's never done anything wrong to you. And you are walking that whole way home, rehearsing your speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please let me be a servant. And you're just rehearsing that over and over again. You're rehearsing what you're going to say. You're dreading how might your father react and the Bible says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. 
that when he left for the far country, the father kept looking in that direction, waiting to see if he would come home. The father was looking out for him. And he saw him coming from a long way off, and he runs to him. He doesn't even wait for him to get to the door. The father runs to him and embraces him and weeps over him. There is nothing, like, I can't even wait for you to get, you've traveled from the far country. You're not traveling the last few hundred yards. I'm going to meet you there. And as he goes and he embraces him and he, he brings him home, the son starts his speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's about to say, please let me be a servant. And the father won't even let him finish. Shut up. Enough of that. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. That as he comes just hoping for scraps at his father's table, his father won't even let him finish his little speech. Someone said to me in between the services, it's almost like the father just wasn't willing to let him linger even a second longer in his sin or his shame. And right away he says, just bring the robe, bring the ring, let's put all of the signs of his sonship back on. He's a member of this family. Even though he tried to walk away, he's coming back. Put all the family signs on him. Now, here's your family ring. Here's my robe. Here are the shoes on your feet. Get those filthy pig farming clothes off of you. You are part of my family. You're my son. Welcome home. Jesus says, this is what your heavenly father is like. This is his heart towards you. This is the mercy and compassion and forgiveness that is available to everybody on earth because in the gospel, God has sent the message out to the world that says, come home, just come home. The doors are open and we can have this picture of God that will, you know, God, he knows what I did in the far country. Right? He knows the things I did. And if I come back, then, then I'm, I'm going to get hit on my way in the door, right? There's going to have to be. He's going to have to do something, and there's none of that in this story. The father says, come home. I've been waiting for you. Just come home. And there's nothing in this welcoming home. There's no questions. There's no accusations. There's no, you know, give me an account for how you spent the money that I worked my whole life and that's been there for generations. What did you do with that before you come home? There's not even, hey, did you learn your lesson before I let you in the door? It's a very fatherly type thing to say. There's no, how do I know you're not going to do this again? Like, there's not a single question. There's not a single moment of judgment. There is not a single amount of discipline that comes on him in this moment. It's just, I'm so glad to see you come home. Just come home. And, and the love and the grace is given freely. And that is what the gospel is. That your heavenly father knows what you've done. Knows how you've turned your back on him. Knows that you have gone to the far country that you have had your wild living, that you have done your X, Y, and Z. He knows that. And yet his call is just come home. Come home. And, and receive the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the love that is available. The father who was watching and waiting and looking for his son, who never stopped hoping, who never stopped just holding on to that thought, one day I'm going to see him come back down that road. And the son had to take a step. He had to leave that country. He had to, to come back. He had to move in. But he never stopped being his father's son. That's not how parenthood works. 
He was always his son. And when he came home, the father brought him back into the fold right away. And not just him, because the, the prodigal son's sins were maybe a bit more obvious, right? He prostitutes, apparently, wild living. He's blown his money. He's dishonored his father. I mean, those are, are pretty easy to see. The elder brother is also in sin. They're just different types of sins, right? He's in bitterness and self-righteousness and judgment, right? Jealousy. And, and it's hard because those sins are sometimes harder to see, right? The prodigal son sins when we commit those. Those are kind of easy. The elder brother's sins feel very righteous, right? Again, there's, when I read the, his complaint, you go, oh, there's He's kind of got a point, maybe, on a couple of things in there. And so it feels very righteous, self-righteousness, that, that, that I am right, and you are wrong, and, and I am better, and you are worse. And he's questioning his father's judgment, and he's, he's questioning his brother. And, and when the elder brother's talking, he won't even call him his brother. He says to his dad, this son of yours Right? This son of yours, he won't even acknowledge that it's his brother anymore. He's mad. Those sins are harder to see. They're harder to notice because they feel very righteous. But the father doesn't just run to his prodigal son. He goes to the elder brother too. The elder brother as well has the father approach him and say, come on in, just come on, come on to the party. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. The father reaches out to both sons, both sinning in different ways, but reaches out to both of them, wanting to bring both of them into the house, both of them into the celebration. He says to the older brother, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Where the elder brother said, this son of yours, the father responds, this brother of yours, he is still your brother. Even though he walked away, we are welcoming him home. We had to celebrate. And this is the point of the three parables in Luke 15, is that there is celebration in heaven when we come home. There is celebration when the shepherd finds the sheep. There's celebration when the woman finds the money. There's celebration when the father gets his son back. There is celebration in heaven when we come home. And the call that has gone out to the whole earth that we are a part of is to anybody we know who is in the far country right now to say, just come home. And if you're in that far country right now, if you are not where you should be with God, if you have turned your back on him, if you are going your own way, that invitation is for you today. Just come home. There is not judgment or accusation or questions waiting for you. Come home. There is mercy and grace. What we do is ask for it and receive it. Say, Father, forgive me for my sins, and I want to walk with you. I want to be in your family again. That's, that's our job, is to, to receive it, to ask for it and receive it. But the celebration in, in heaven goes on when we take that step. We're just about done. Come on up, worship team. If you have any questions about the sermon today, we're happy to keep chatting. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. It's in the bulletin as well. So by all means, let those questions come. There's a story that I came across of a woman named Maria. She lived in Brazil. She was a single mom. She had a daughter named Christina. And they lived in a small town not far from a huge city, city of millions. And as her daughter got older, became a teenager, uh, started to become more rebellious, as sometimes happens probably to all of us when we hit that age. And she wanted to go to the big city. Maria wanted to protect her. Uh, I can't let you go to that big city. It's full of crime. It's full of darkness. I don't want you to go there. And Christina woke up, or Maria, sorry, woke up one morning and Christina was gone. She just wasn't in her bed 
And Maria went, oh, she's gone to the city. And so Maria jumped on a bus and headed to the city. And knowing that her daughter was naive, her daughter was beautiful, uh, there's only so many ways she can make money in this crime-ridden, dirty city. And so she went to try and save her daughter. And as she went, uh, she got to the city. And where do you start, right? This huge city of millions. She started going to bars. No one's heard of her. She's showing Christina's pictures around. Nobody is able to point her in the right direction. She talks to the police. The police will keep an eye out, but they can't do a lot more than that. They've got lots on their plate. And so she comes upon a solution where she says, well, I can't, I can't cover the whole city. Um, she was running out of money and needed to get back home. And so she stayed for about a month. And at the end of the month, when she hadn't come up with anything, she went uh, to a photography shop which used to exist, remember those? <laughs> we don't need them so much anymore. But she went in and she got a few dozen pictures of herself taken, of the mom. She got a few pictures of herself taken. And she went around to some bars and well-known hotels and brothels and different places, and she taped the picture of herself to the mirror in some of these places. And on the back of the picture, she had written to her daughter, she wrote the note. She said, Christina, I don't care what you've done. I love you. Please come home. Love mom. And she left it as many as she could all over the city. And then she went home and she hoped and she prayed. And I'm sure like the father kept an eye towards the big city, hoping for the day when her daughter would come home. And a number of months later, Christina, uh, who did fall into a bad crowd, who did get caught up in some terrible things, uh, is stumbling through a bar one day, goes into the bathroom, and is shocked to see a picture of her own mom taped on the, on the mirror. I would be shocked if I saw that right now in the bathroom mirror. And she took the picture off and saw the note on the back to her, Dear Christina, I don't care what you've done. I love you. Please come home. Love, Mom. And the last line of the story is, so she did. She went home. Her mom had gone after her and left her the message, and Christina had to respond to that. And that is the gospel for us, that God has come. He has left us the message. He has said, I love you. I don't care what you have done. Just come home. Love, Dad. And our job is to respond. And many of us have responded. And, and again, if you haven't responded yet, maybe that is for you today. And as we look at this story, we are all the prodigal son, and we acknowledge that, and we say, okay, so I, I need to not be that in my life. I need to not listen to the lure of the far country. I need to, to work on that. I need to press in. I need to come home. I need to work on staying home. I need to not do day trips to the far country and come back. I want to be better, and I want to work on that stuff. And if we're honest, we're like the elder brother. Anytime we're bitter, anytime we're jealous, anytime we're entitled, anytime we're demanding, anytime we're looking for credit or anything like that, that stuff's in there too. So we need to see that and acknowledge that and work on that as well. But the big question is, how do we be more like the Father in our lives? Like as we have received his grace and mercy, where do we give that grace and mercy? As he ran to us to bring us home, where are we running to bring others home? The people who are turning their backs on us, who are offending us, insulting us, are we showing the love and the grace, grace and the mercy of the Father that we have been given? That's the thing for us to wrestle with. Uh, and you'll wrestle through it in your study guides and in our life groups. We are going to close here, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we spend a little bit more time in worship, and then we'll end off in prayer today. A few years ago, I was traveling for my last job, and I was on an extended trip. I was gone for a while. 
and I flew into the Calgary airport, got into a cab, picked up my car at the office, and drove home. Before I drove home, I texted my family to let them know I was coming home. And it was about a 30 minute drive from the office, and I'm driving up, I get to the driveway, and there's this big sign that says, welcome home, dad, we missed you. And before I literally got into the driveway, the kids came running out, two of my kids came running out, and just loved on me. Dad, we missed you, we're so glad you're home, it's so good to see you, and they were so excited. And it made me feel so loved and accepted. And I share that with you because that's what it's like with God. Uh, he wants us to come running to him and he accepts us and loves us and says, welcome. Good to see you again. Welcome back to the fold. And as, if you've gone on this journey of life and you're at a place in your life now where you've kind of either walked away or feel lost, be encouraged because the greatest thing of finding something when it's lost, it's been found. And we give our lives to Christ, you have been found because of Jesus. We offer prayer this morning as well, that's after service. We encourage you to come forward. And as people come forward to pray, if you want to visit and hang out, we encourage you to do that in the foyer so people come forward and, and pray as well. And there'll be a team of people here ready to pray for you. A great way to respond to a message like this is to be prayed over. Uh, so if there's something in your life that you need to just say, Jesus, I need to leave this to you, or you need to come back running to Jesus, remember this, his arms are wide open. His arms are wide open to take you back regardless of what you've done. That's the beautiful thing of the grace and mercy that comes in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you that we can come to you in our brokenness. And even in spite of the choices we might make that hurt you and hurt ourselves, that you say, come back and you rejoice over us. You welcome us with open arms. And I pray, Jesus, that's real today for us. There'd be a new sense of freedom to understand that whatever sin or whatever broken relationship that holds us back, that you'd release us from that. And there'd be an outpouring of your spirit and people would find freedom that comes in you so we can walk upright for the kingdom. Not because of anything we've done, Jesus, because of your grace and mercy. So as you go into this week, show us, encourage us, challenge us and change us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So grateful for today, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. Again, if you need prayer, come on forward.